from the, the theme, one of the great things about speaking, can I just say, is that if you've got a good story, you just get to have a bonus good story. You just, you just get that slot. So this is kind of a, a good story slash slight segue into um, our talk tonight. But I just wanted to pick up on this theme of wider whānau. So we've got Katie and Brooke here tonight, kind of wider whānau. Um, Lance talking about, I guess, getting along to St. Peter's this morning. And I just wanted to let you guys know that um, this space during the weekend and um, on Friday has um, hosted um, a massive kind of crew of people from the Salvation Army Church. Um, so if you've been in town this weekend, you almost undoubtedly would have seen crew walking around in their, in their uniform, Salvation Army crew. So they have every three years this big gig called Congress. And um, kind of through our connection from Sam Coates, they um, were like, oh, we want a space where our young people can hang out and have a kai before our evening meeting. Um, and so they ended up having a workshop here all day Friday and came for kai on Friday and on Saturday. And so um, Scotty and I rolled in on Friday night to go and set up the backspace for prayer. And there were like 100 people in here. It was just packed out, um, eating pizza and drinking l &P. And apparently they're like really... <laughs> Big Guns guy of Salvation Army, or Guns, it's like a, a strange image. The general from Canada was also here. He was here at Anvil House. Um, but apparently he's, he's a, a total bro and just is, does the mahi and is just really great. Um, so they, they were saying, um, you know, across the road at the Michael Fowler Centre, if they wanted to cater for um, their young people, it was going to cost thousands of dollars because Michael Fowler Centre makes you use their fancy caterers. Um, and they were like, we just want a place that our people can feel at home and chill and not like, oh, we're going to break things and kind of can't put crumbs on the carpet. I was like, yeah, you are welcome. Like, this is your space. Um, I was like, this is looking clean up after you guys are in here and then before. So I was just like, thanks for being here. Um, so yeah, there was crew from Fiji and Samoa and Tonga and around New Zealand here, which is so cool. So um, yeah, just wanted to let you guys know that, that um, this space has been connecting. Um, other people have connected in it this weekend, which is just so, so cool. Um, so yeah, tonight we are journeying through catechism, um, our kind of journey around learning the kind of basics of faith. And the question we've been sitting with this week is how do we change? And so I want to start by asking, um, who here has made a New Year's resolution in your life? Quite a few people. Some people have made New Year's resolutions. Harriet, you're looking resolute and you're not making resolutions. Like, I was crossed. I don't make no resolutions. Um, okay, well, I, I was a strong um, New Year's resolution maker. Back when I was, like, 15, I was so overambitious. Like, just so believed in the power of the new year, right? I, I would have, like, 21 resolutions for the year. It's just like, it's going to be like this, it's going to be like this. Um, I was just very bold in the spirit of hope of the new year. Um, as I was writing um, this this afternoon... I wrote out, um, I meant to write New Year, New Me, but instead I wrote New Year, New Men. <laughs> I just like, started cracking myself up. And then Scotty was there, and I was like, oh, bro, just wrote that. And he was like, you've got to share that tonight, Dad. So just like, <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that, you know, you didn't know. But um, yeah, New Year, New Men. <laughs> All this to say that we, we kind of culturally love the idea of a fresh slate, whether it's a new pair of sneakers or a new journal or a new haircut or a new man or a new whatever. 
We love this kind of idea that we can we can start again. And um, I was thinking about this around um, a few years ago. I lived um, in England for a little while, and um, I was doing like the last semester of uni on exchange there. And they had this kind of underground cafe um, where a lot of people kind of went to do study and, and chill out. And somehow, um, kind of in the way that only happens in kind of cafe spaces, you sort of end up sometimes sharing space with someone like quite nearby and kind of working sort of separately but together. And then end up in conversation with a person there, and they were saying, oh, you know, when I'm done with uni, um, the thing I'm, I'm going to do is I'm going to go to India. I'm going to go travel into India. And I just, when I'm in India, I'm just going to find myself. I was like, at the time, I was like, I know this is kind of an irony because I'm also overseas and probably had some, some sense around, like, reinventing myself and the, the possibility of kind of just, you know, how you have the, the chance. Nobody knows you. You kind of could be anyone. I had some of those thoughts myself, but I just thought, man, wherever you go, there you are. Like, I think you're just going to get to India and be like, ah, oh, this crap has followed me to India. Like, here I am with my same old insecurities and baggage. And so, yeah, I think, I think the thing is we have these, um, you know, we live in a culture that loves the idea of a, a clean start. Um, and whether it's New Year's resolutions or travel or a new haircut, or kind of um, finding some area of your life that you, you feel like you don't measure up, and then just sort of trying to like plow through into change. We've probably all had experiences of falling off the bandwagon, of just being like, ugh, and not quite being able to live up to our own expectations. Had experiences of the life hack not working, of our self-help not helping. And I think when this happens, um, we, can begin, we can start to become a little bit disillusioned, right? Kind of, um, you try and change, and then you, fa you fail, and then you kind of become a little bit gun-shy, and you become a bit more kind of, um, you know, you play it a bit more safe. And I guess um, in my own example, um, in the past 10 years, I've moved from sort of 21 news resolutions down to one. So, you know, that's like a... 300%, I don't even know, um, decrease <laughs> in perhaps my boldness around, um, around change. And I think the thing is that um, we don't really like the feeling of having failed. Like, no one really, really likes that feeling. And sometimes when we fall off the bandwagon or change doesn't seem to stick, we kind of might feel like we've risked a little bit too much. And we can start to think, oh, let's just play it a bit more safe and it's kind of better the devil you know and the one you don't and like, oh, these habits are kind of shitty but they're kind of old friends now and, and what would a new pattern or lifestyle actually do for me anyway? Um, so these things that we kind of maybe don't really love, they, they can start to feel like old friends even if they aren't really that good of friends. Can anyone relate to that? Yeah, cool. Great, just checking you guys are awake. Um, and so this week um, in the podcast we talked about um, the idea that the gospel of Jesus is good news for those who feel stuck. It's good news for those who feel disillusioned. It's good news for the hopeless or the barely hopeful. In the podcast, we said, at the heart of the gospel is the brazen and naive declaration that change is possible, both for us and for our world. And so this good news that we have is that there is a God who created light from nothing, at the very start of our story, God created out of nothing. 
And that, that creative, light-bringing God is the one who came into our world again through Jesus to bring light to dark places, to illuminate and transform them. And that God again gave the Holy Spirit so that the Spirit could be with us always and transform and illuminate dark places. The good news that we have is that Jesus conquered the grave, that the Holy Spirit has been sent, and that we are invited into the possibility that there is profound potential for change and hope that goes beyond how we perceive things. So effectively, at the very heart of the good news of Jesus is this idea that change is possible, that there is hope. And so for those of you that listen to the podcast, the the way we started talking about this, the, the first point, was that change begins at repentance. Now some of you... I'm interested, um, I guess. This word repentance is one that, yeah, maybe like purity has a little bit of like, attached to it. And what I would really love tonight is if, um, for those of you for whom that word has a bit of ick or a bit of like, (laughs) attached to it, that you would leave with a deeper understanding of what a beautiful, hopeful word that is. So in order to understand this this idea around repentance, what we talked about in the podcast is that um, each of us bears in ourselves the image of God, Imago Dei. Did I say it right? Yeah. Yeah. I said it funny when we were recording, and Scotty was like, no, 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 do it again. Um, (laughs) Imago Dei, we bear the image of God. So we are created good. And we get to see God in one another. We get to bear witness to God inside each other. So each person is a window for us to see something of God's nature. God is so diverse and so big that no one person could contain the whole fullness of God. God is massive, and the, I guess, exciting possibility about meeting a new person is the potential of seeing something new of God's character and God's nature. So people around us bear God's image, and we bear God's image. And we talked about the idea that God wants to um, continually kind of reveal to us more, um, I guess, an understanding or a living into that image that's within us. And part of that is that we talked about this idea of sin, another icky word. Sin being that which muddies and obscures this image of God in us and in one another. Sin is everything that takes away our dignity, humanity, and divinity. Everything that becomes um, a blockage, I guess, in the way of living into this image of God within us, the way that God intended us to be. And so I guess I wanted to share a little bit of my journey around this word of repentance and kind of what that's looked like in my life. So I think in the past, um, when I first came to faith, and we kind of have times of confession or repentance, I would kind of sit there and be like, acknowledge your sins before the Lord. Kind of sort of like try and conjure up a feeling of guilt. And I think some people um, have a naturally like guilty conscience. And some people have a naturally like it's all good conscience. And I'm probably a little bit more on the it's all good, to be honest. I'm like, oh, just really feel some guilt. Um, it's like, you know, where have, I, where have I not nailed it this week? 
and we're trying to kind of scan through the things of the week. It was like, oh yeah, I was a bit impatient there. Sorry, God. I'm sorry. Um, and and times I genuinely, you know, would feel like, oh yeah, that really sucks. I didn't know that. But I think, um, yeah, it was quite like self-driven. And so over time, my kind of understanding around this has changed. A few years ago, I was introduced to the idea that repentance means a change of direction or a change of heart. And I guess it made me realize that um, the kind of trying to write a list or conjure up something wasn't really, wasn't particularly authentic. Like, I think God was still faithful in that practice, um, but it, it wasn't like a deep change of heart. And then a few years after that, I heard this um, lyric in a song which really kind of struck me as curious and then stayed with me. You guys ever had that experience? Just like somehow the combination of like words and music kind of gets behind your filters and really like speaks to you in a different way. And the lyric um, said, your kindness leads me to repentance. And I hadn't really thought about the idea of God's kindness in relation to repentance before. But what I want to suggest tonight is that if we're saying change starts with repentance, the thing that that sits before that is an encounter with a loving God. And during the seasonal guide this week, we were talking about this. And the image that kind of came to mind for me around repentance and the nature of God is that of... um, Say like a little a little child and a parent. So say um, the little kid like has something and then they um, break it or they spill something, and then they're like, oh no, oh no, okay, I've got to hide this from the parent. So they're like, okay, just get my toys, like put that over this, or like just get this broken thing and I'll hide it under my toys, like it'll be all good. We'll just kind of brush that under the carpet, and then sort of imagining that. If, um, for that kid, if they have a a safe and a loving parent, that actually we really have the desire to not have, oh no, I broke the thing, that sitting between us and people we love. And if there is a safe environment there, they're probably going to come along at some point and be like, I broke the thing, or I spilled the thing. And the parent's probably going to be like, I know, like, that's okay, you know? And I think that there's that same sense between us and God that, um, yeah, repentance isn't about behavior management and it's um, not trying to like beat yourself up in your head. Repentance is honesty and it's, it's honesty that flows out of a knowing that God is a safe God to bring our own kind of shortcomings. So repentance is an encounter with someone who is so safe that you can admit you've done something wrong. Your kindness leads me to repentance. And I think, I think that really changes the game. And I think it also, it's like a, um, kind of like if, if you've ever been to, um, I don't know, if you've ever gone and seen like a really big mountain for the first time, you're like, whoa, that mountain's so big. 
and you realise that like little hill behind your house is quite small, and you're just like, ah, oh, in comparison to this, that hill is only this. And I think when we encounter the bigness of God, sometimes the effect that that has on us is to be like, oh, whoa, you are so loving, and I am so impatient and petty, and this. But it's, I guess, in a way that can feel like, whoa, but like, that's not condemnation. You know, that's just like contrast, and actually that's kind of, that's part of us relating to God, but um, yeah, just going to leave that there. It was just a fresh thought in the moment. I'm not going to try and weave that in, just sitting here. <laughs> and so um, I want to kind of talk about how we see this happening in the Gospels. So throughout the Gospels, we see these stories of Jesus encountering people, and um, they have this moment where they're in Jesus' company, and kind of seeing something of his nature. And um, I think we could frame those up as moments of repentance, where people encounter Jesus' kindness, and then they hear an invitation from him to change. A way that Jesus kind of delivers that invitation to change to a number of people is he says, um, go and sin no more. And I think when I first started reading scripture, um, this kind of line around go and sin no more, to me kind of read a little bit like a telling off or like a, man, you better just go walk that tightrope and not sin anymore, otherwise kind of all the good that's just happened is going to be kind of written off. But I don't actually think that's what's going on. I think actually there's something going on with Jesus actually kind of saying to the people, I believe you can change. Like, you can do it, like go and be changed, live differently, and actually advocating for that to them. That because of their encounter with Jesus, they can start out in a new direction. That because of God's belief in us, too, we can change. There is hope for people to change, to walk out of death into life. And so, just to recap on, on what I've said here, um, the story we have as Christians is one always of God acting first, loving first, loving us. God believes in hope for us before we can do that for ourselves. And we've said that repentance is this humble belief that God's image is in you, and it's an honest acknowledgement of whatever is obscuring that. Repentance is the steep posture of a willingness to change. And so, yeah, moving to the second point, um, we talked about change being about God revealing who we really are. I keep getting to burp. It's like really awkward. <laughs> um, in the podcast, we said Romans, uh, we quoted Romans 8 19 and said, All creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal his children for who they really are. We said the process of transformation God's, God invites us to is not a plan for self-betterment or self-improvement. It's about giving God's um, it's about giving God permission to reveal to us who we were always meant to be. And at the heart of this is consent. About a giving of permission. I feel like lately I've been learning a lot about this with God. And I want to just um, read 
um, this little scripture from Revelation 3, which says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. This is Jesus speaking. And I think the thing about consent is that, um, as you guys will know, um, respecting someone else's boundaries and their kind of self is a loving thing to do. And God and God's nature is loving. And so God, um, I guess, wants to bring about transformation in our lives, but doesn't just kind of bowl in and start, like, helping himself to dinner. Like, he knocks and, like, lets us be like, okay, yeah, I'm going to open the door. Um, So there's a sense of choice. And so in this idea of change being about God revealing who we really are, I think as... um, people following Jesus, we can go about this a few different ways. And sometimes that's to do with our theology, and sometimes that's to do with our personality. Um, but for some of us, we, we hear um, changes about God revealing who you really are, and we think, yep, God, you've got permission, and then we just go about full on just being like, okay, well, this is what's going to change, and I'm going to go to soul to it, and I'm going to go to counselling, and I'm going to read scripture 24 times a day, and I'm going to pray at that 48-hour prayer weekend, and We kind of can go on a bit of like a witch hunt in ourselves to um, kind of just do that new year, new me thing. We create a Christian version of kind of New Year's resolutions. And it kind of just ends us back into um, kind of self-improvement again, where we have sort of said we've given God consent, but then taken up all the space and all the control kind of and taken it over here. So that's kind of one approach. And then another one, I think, is we say... Oh, yeah, I consent to God um, being at work in my life. Um, Great, yeah, Lord, just do your work, me. And then we just fall asleep. (laughs) And, yeah, I definitely am a lot more like the former of those two. And and maybe there are other options, but I think kind of just one way or the other, we can kind of end up in those camps. But this year we've talked about us being yoked to Jesus and about being connected to him. And I, I think this, um, yeah, I think there's something going on with that. And so, man, there's just a lot of metaphors I'm bringing you guys tonight. Just, yeah. But this one I think is really good. Um, <laughs> this, is, um, this is one I had a few years ago when I first started going to um, spiritual direction. Spiritual direction is pretty much like kind of deep yarns about your soul with someone that's kind of professionally trained. It's quite hard to explain. But um, an image I had was of this little garden plot which was outside of um, a flat I used to live in. And that little garden plot was kind of um, my life and my soul. And I was talking to my spiritual director, (laughs) such a weird word, um, director, about this and how I get quite like frustrated with myself and she was sort of asking, you know, um, how would you approach the garden of your soul? And I was like, honestly, sometimes just like douse it with petrol and then just flamethrow, just like just throw this to the ground. I like, this could burn, we're just gonna start again. Um she's like, okay, and so you know, what is God inviting you to in this? And I was like, I think the thing that God is inviting me to is to be like, hey. I'm the master gardener, um, just like come with me and I'll show you what plants are good, 
what ones have like this is these are the weeds these are the nice plants like these weeds have these really nasty roots which are like really hard to get rid of because they kind of go under the ground and they pop up here any gardeners in the house like not really yeah but yeah no i mean <laughs> some weeds are just so hard to get rid of um I think I have this particular flat in Brooklyn in mind because we had some really bad weeds in that flat. Um, but just like trusting the wisdom of Jesus to be like, look, this is a good plant and there's like a whole bunch of weeds around this, but we just don't want to disturb this good plant. So we're just going to leave that bit for now. We're just going to go over here and like tend to this bit. Um, and so, yeah, I wanted to share that because I think the process of repentance for me has become like gardening with Jesus. And the metaphor extends um, <laughs> in that the belief is that the soil is good, that I bear the image of God, and that there are things that might be growing like in the garden of my soul, which are kind of inhibiting other stuff from growing. And it's like good and appropriate to acknowledge that. And I need God's help to be like, oh, that plant is actually like shading this other plant, so this plant can't grow. And actually, this one's got to go. And that I think Jesus would want to garden with us and to teach us about how to grow good plants and to pull up the roots of the weeds and to let him do that. And I think this idea of like I stand at the door and knock, I imagine Jesus coming to the French doors in our flat at the speaker, like knocking, but like, time to garden. And like the opportunity for me to be like, all right, I will go with you to the garden. And so point three, God invites us to be changed and to change the world. In the podcast, we said that um, we are a people who have been transformed by Christ. And so we believe that transformation is possible in the world around us. We are a changed people, invited to be agents of change that undo the pollution of sin in the world around us. We are a people that believe change is possible. And that when we gather together, we form communities of resistance. Groups of people who resist the lie that change is impossible and that the situation is just hopeless. As Jesus followers, we become beacons of light. We become guardians of hope in a sometimes hopeless world. That hope is possible for us and hope is possible for others. And the invitation I want to um, kind of acknowledge in this third point is that, um, yeah, we if you have experienced change in your life, um, to then hold on to that and extend that hope um, to others. And to be someone who gives yourself in prayer and hope and action for that in the world around you. And to, yeah, I guess that invitation is for us to be a people who kind of suspend a little bit of our scepticism and leave some space for the possibility of what God can do. And that'll look different for, for each one of you, but saying like, God, how do I leave you space to move here? How do I believe for your capacity to, to change and to act? Even if we can't see how. And so, 
I don't have heaps to say about this last point because I kind of just feel like it, the point is itself. But I wanted to share um, just this little anecdote with you. So last month, um, September, was Māori Language Month, Awareness Month. And um, who here was, was listening to Waiata anthems during the month? Yeah, in the house. So good. So um, there was a remake of um, the 660 song, Don't Forget Your Roots. Somebody's cracking up. <laughs> Nobody, I don't even know why you're laughing. Um, which arguably is better than the original. Yeah, that's why I'm laughing. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so good. So I am really good, really good at remembering song lyrics. Like, I am really bad at remembering a lot of stuff, but am annoyingly good at remembering song lyrics. Like, all the pop hits of my childhood, like, word for word, locked in. Like, any... Other things, just not locked in. <laughs> um, I was like, cool, this will be a real cool way for me to um, like get some more kupu and just like be able to like, hold on to the sentiments of this. And so I was talking with Alana about um, the lyrics from this song, which um, is Kia mo kite ukaiko, kia mo hoki kito fano. And I was like, oh, what, is, you know, what does this mean? What is kia mo? And Lance was like, oh, in kind of a way, I'm going to try and impersonate her. Oh, just when you say that, it just makes me want to do this. And um, I was like, which is kind of a little bit kapahaka, just right there, just say, um, And she was like, yeah, it's that. This is um, it's like the verb of like taking hold of or like um, grasping and like tightly holding onto. And that is what I wanna I wanna say about. Um, how we are to be with hope. Come on. Um, <laughs> Hebrews, Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold resolutely to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Hold tight, hold fast, hold unswervingly, hold resolutely. And I think just this word has kind of been playing on my mind just like through the day, just being like, taking hold of this, taking hold of this. In this situation, um, so I just want to put that there, that God invites us to be changed and we need to take hold of that in our lives. We need to take hold of those invitations and we need to take hold of them for others in prayer and in the way we love one another. And so, yeah, just to finish, I guess, with the scripture from Second Peter. I was just reading this the other night and yeah, during prayer weekend and I just think it's cool. So it says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. And I think this is, this is the key bit. We have received all this by coming to know him. It's the knowing him that matters. I'm going to read that. I'm going to read from the top again. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him. The one who called us to himself by means of his marvellous glory and excellence. And it goes on. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. And then this next little bit. I quite like, there's like quite a few times in the New Testament where they use this and this idea of like, this, but this, but this. Um, just saying that. In view of all this, 
Make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. And so, yeah, we're going to um, worship together now. And tonight, I just want to extend the invitation to you guys. If you... Yeah, just an invitation to meet Jesus and to experience his kindness tonight. And in, in that space, to just have an honest, an honest time with Jesus. To have, um, yeah, to, to pick up that opportunity, to consent to that opportunity, to enter into the beautiful place of repentance, to allow his kindness to change your heart and to shift you.